How's everybody doing? Welcome to another episode of the Men's Wellness Collective Podcast. As always, I am your co-host, Jordan Lewis, along with my two esteemed friends and colleagues, Caleb Adego K and Dalen Bernie. Caleb, how you doing today? Doing all right. How are you? I'm I'm doing well, man. I got the family in town. I'm I'm really happy. I'm excited to spend some time with them and get the, get this conversation going as well. So, Dalen, how about you? Doing really well. I got a, a workout in. I got to go climb and you know, kind of have a moment to myself. So that was a great way to start the day. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we're going to keep the good energy going today uh, because we have uh, a guest on to the podcast that we're very excited about. Uh, today we're talking with Langston Jones. Uh, Langston, how's it going today, sir? You know what? It, it's a better day than it has been this weekend, so we'll just, we'll just leave it at that and say Southwest count your days. <laughs> heard about all that, man. That's crazy. People not showing up, flights getting canceled. Yeah, we're, we're glad that you made it back. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. So. <laughs> Good deal. Um, so, so a little funny story, Langston. You and I uh, met a little over a year ago, and did a did an episode on on my personal podcast. And when we started the Men's Wellness Collective, we we partnered and you know and are in close conversations with Elevating Men, who's another organization doing things in Kansas City. And come to find out, uh, we we had a mutual connection through Elevating Men. Uh, I don't your know brother. who that person is. <laughs> don't know who that person is. But if you like short people, go ahead. <laughs> so so I was, I, it was crazy when that, when I realized like, oh, Lauren and Langston are related. So this just feels like good synergy, you know, to have to have hooked up with Elevating Men and the work we're we're doing with them, and to have you on our platform as well to kind of talk about your perspective. So we're really looking forward to it. Um, Most definitely. Why don't you give the people a little bit of an intro, kind of a quick elevator pitch into who is Langston Jones? Why you know why should people listening, you know, be tuning in to what what you have to say and in, in your perspective? All right. Uh, well, Langston Jones, um, I am 34. Uh, my background is in early childhood education. Um, I'm originally from Kansas City, spent some time in Oklahoma, and then moved back. Um, and I've been here ever since. Um, so I have kind of a dual world working in early childhood education, as well as working in HIV and prevention. Um, I'm a member of Alpha by Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And then I guess the honorary thing um, is I identify as queer. So, okay, yeah, appreciate that that intro. Um, that 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 dovetails perfectly into you know the inspiration for today's conversation, right? Because anyone who's been tuning in, um, one of the things that you know we talk about is men's issues, but. Um, there's a broad spectrum of individuals who um, have similar experiences to myself, Dalen, and Caleb, who identify as you know heterosexual males, right? And even amongst us, there's varying degrees of uh, complexities, varying degrees of differences in the experiences that we go through. And if we want to really capture the complete 
um, wholeness of what it means in this day and age and what it means in this society and in this world to to support men, for men to build community with one another and to, to support one another. It can't just be voices like ours, right? We want to bring in those voices. So we really appreciate you coming in today and, you know, giving some perspective on the unique um unique challenges, maybe the unique experiences of someone who identifies as queer, as you said, right? And so we just want to appreciate and extend our appreciation for you for coming on. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I guess the first question is, uh, if you could give some kind of backstory to, as a man, what that journey was like uh, coming to that point of realizing how you identify personally and then getting to a space where you were comfortable sharing that out into the world and being yourself in that way while also still you know you mentioned that you're a member of a fraternity so there's still that very like i imagine masculine sense of identity right um what's that been like for you to kind of create that and come to that sense of self um, it's definitely been an interesting journey. Um, I can always backdate it. I come from a single parent home uh, where my father wasn't very prevalent. And so that's, I think, definitely something that I've always longed for kind of growing up. Um, my mom tried to fill the void of having, you know, other men in my life. My uncles weren't really like the ones to sit there and have like a positive influence in my life. So it was reaching out to men in the church and things of that matter. Um, so religion or you know, Christianity plays a belief of a lot of what I went through kind of like growing up um, and then trying to identify with who I am. Like I remember as a teenager or preteen, my mom taking me through counseling and her not knowing how to sit there and deal with me. And this was like early stages of me not even knowing like my sexuality, but she knew something was up. And so, you know, we were bucking heads and things that mattered. Um, I always had my brothers, but like our relationships definitely changed. And so it probably wasn't until I actually graduated from high school and then went off to college where that kind of diving into manhood and kind of making like sense and stuff. And then, then you have this kind of halo of, you know, I grew up in the church. Like, do I sit there and kind of dive into experimenting with my sexuality and trying to find out who I am? And so probably between, we'll say, 19 to probably 24 is where I kind of took that angle in college um, and trying to figure out who I was. And probably I'll say between 25 and 26 is where I was like, all right, this is me, you know, accept me for who I am um, in regards to it. And then just like, um, you know, this is me, but this is how I identify as like a man. Um, And so that goes into very different layers of versatility of like my personality to like manhood and things like that yeah yeah i appreciate you giving us that that arc i kind of hear that there was a lot of different periods of evolution there was you needing to figure it out and kind of make sense of what was going on and and who you were and there was this period where you actually get to explore that and almost confirm it maybe or solidify like okay this is what it feels like internally now let me go out in the world a little bit and kind of you know or get a sense of like is is this is this for real right am i on track here and then yeah, 
and through that there was like okay this is what i this is who i am this is what it is and then really coming into the rest of the world the your community the people closest to you expression the full expression and the complete putting put together package of this is me right? and so i kind of see it as like these a three-step journey is that does that sound kind of accurate that's what i'm hearing yeah yeah sounds about right so it sounds to me like I, I like your explanation of your journey also just sounds like you and yourself and your experience and in the world and the world trying to not understand you from what i'm hearing there wasn't a lot a lot of understanding there wasn't a lot of curiosity it was i don't know what to do with this boy uh which was that was that is that am i hearing that right or am i interpreting that like differently what was your experience because to me when i hear i was in counseling as a younger adult because my mom didn't know what to do with me that sounds like there was not curiosity there was more like you're supposed to act this way you're not acting this way so we got to fix you uh a little bit um i think it was my mom just struggling like we all there's five of us so um we all were definitely different from like that angle um i can backdate and i think uh jordan in our podcast um uh or in the previous podcast we kind of had a conversation like i remember when i was like four and five like my mom letting me play with dolls and letting me dress up and then as i got older um there was like this whole like okay that was when you were like a kid like you got to put those things away you have to sit there and you know be a boy or you kind of have to shy away from like those things and so i think it does go into kind of what you said like you know i don't like my mom didn't know how to kind of sit there and identify or how to deal with like this new behavior that i'm kind of displaying that maybe she didn't get from my other siblings um so yeah mm. Yeah, and I, I'd imagine that's like a hard thing to like accept or maybe not accept, but just like have put on you for so long. Like you just said, that started at like 13 and you didn't really maybe figure it out till like you were in your mid 20s. So that's a decade of like, what is this? How do I fit in the world? How do I dress? What do I play with? How do I do these things? Like that's a long time to be so unsure of yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of the biggest things is like, I mean, I feel like now that I've gone to college and I've had this opportunity to sit there and, you know, you take college courses on, you know, kids going through like these different stages. Um, it's kind of like now this all comes, comes into play and it's kind of like when it comes to being a parent, like, you know, parents are definitely just always trying to figure out there's no philosophy to send there being a parent. But it's all I think when parents nowadays, it's all about like acceptance. It's not about tolerance. And I think that's one of the biggest things. But even growing up in like, you know, a single parent home where my mom was African-American and things like that, like, you know, she was just doing the best that she could. Um, you know, she didn't have to deal with this. Like my three other siblings that preceded me, like they never had any signs of like, you know, struggling with sexuality or thinking that like, you know, oh, hey, this they were, I quote, normal kind of growing up. So, you know, I was the exception to kind of like all right well, what is this like you know do we do we pray this away what do i do um and kind of like that scepter so you know i actually love conversations like this because one of the things we talk a lot about um 
amongst ourselves on the podcast and things that other men clients have shared is even men who would identify as as heterosexual or straight there's still when you can get them in this vulnerable place there's still this space oftentimes of i was drawn to things that i wanted to do at society or the male figures in my life or media or my peer group pressured me out of right whether it be art or poetry or any kind of endeavor that's not deemed manly Um, and what i'm hearing is you know to hear the perspective of of someone like yourself you've really gone through a similar process it just kind of drives home the point to me that whether you identify as gay, straight, queer, non-binary, like whatever, it's this process that if we can be vulnerable enough and brave enough to share it, that we're all kind of going through, figuring out who we are, how can we lean into the things that we truly enjoy doing or the parts of us that like we don't fit the mold that we like and that we uh, you know, kind of are drawn to. And, and really what it sounds like to me is people who identify as straight or really have the bravery to lean into that sexual exploration really leading the charge in that because y'all are saying these boxes didn't work for me and how can everyone embrace that courage to like lean into who they really are regardless of how you identify I just I just think that's a cool it makes the experience more universal, whereas a lot of men, I think, would, would say who, who identify as, as straight or like, I don't know what that experience is like. You know, I, I, I wouldn't know what Langston went through. But in reality, it was a similar journey. You know? and, 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 and again, I think you said something really important, Jordan, is like the courage to lean into the curiosity of learning who you are. Um, like for me, I never, I never had those questions, but like, I often was made to feel less than other, not good enough, not man enough for being more emotional. Like that was something that men weren't, regardless of like whether my sexual identity was a question or not. I was like, why are you so emotional? Like literally, uh, at one point, I think it was my, my my friend, my brother's friends, like, why are you acting so jealous? That's a female trait. And I remember hearing that, and I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, like, like, as part of you discovering who you are and becoming a confident part of your world, was it, like, leading into the masculine and leading to the feminine, because just because you identify as heterosexual, homosexual, just, I mean, there's still the masculine and feminine um, spectrum that you were leaning into. Like, as you were leaning to either one, like, how were you navigating that? Like, how, what was that experience like for you? Um, I can definitely say it was interesting because in finding yourself is definitely, um, it's just that identity piece. Um, I think I've shared this with like my siblings, like kind of growing up. Um, like, you know, we predominantly went to, you know, white schools growing up. So like that identity, like we trying to find identity when it, it are, we are three black people in the whole school. So that's another identity to sit there and kind of like tap into. But 
tapping into like the sexuality piece of it um it was interesting because when i started becoming myself it was you saw one or the other i never saw like the middle until probably like these last like seven years of you know um you either saw a really feminine guy with you know a really masculine guy or you saw like you know vice versa um and it wasn't until like recently or probably like maybe like the last like 10 years i don't i'll say um that you know there was like middle ground and i know for myself i've always had like kind of both traits and i think i definitely get that from my upbringing just because my mom definitely had to play both roles like she had to be the mother and the father like Regardless of the fact she's like, I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, we make jokes now. We always sit there and say, Mother's Day, like, we'll wish my mom, you know, happy Mother's Day. But Father's Day, we wish my mom happy Father's Day, too, because you definitely had to step into the role. But when it came to, like, certain things, I think that's where that identity piece came for me because I saw my mom having to sit there and be the breadwinner um, and sit there and actually be, like, you know, have that maternal instinct at it all types and you know every point in my life even though you know we have conversations now and my mom will definitely sit there and say like you know you know i'm still a woman and did it like what she looks for in you know relationships like she looks for you know the breadwinner and the you know the homemaker but it's kind of like you're still gonna work like it's not like you're gonna stop working or things of that matter so it's kind of like there's always still that dual role that you definitely still have to sit there in circumference. Yeah. And and I think that's another part in identities that we share is that like I, I went to a predominantly white institution, lived in a predominantly white uh, neighborhood. Matter of fact, my, my dad didn't really explain the whole process until recently when his the the person who hired my dad to come to work at UMKC explain the situation when he moved to Boston and Kansas City and then my dad like gave his version of how he interpreted the information I was like oh so that's how this happened um but I went to a predominantly white school in middle elementary and high school obviously my entire I've never been in a predominantly black school or predominantly other school did you have the experience that when you were exploratory did you find that like white counterparts, classmates, teammates, wherever, were more or less accepting than Blacks? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, just because, and I think that goes back to, this is how Black men act. This is how white men act. These are how Hispanic men act. Like, I think one of the things I've shared, like, you know, like when I came out or I had conversations with my friends, and going to a predominantly like, you know, white institute or school and things like that, my friends were like, you don't mix coffee with coffee, you mix coffee with cream. And so my first two relationships, um, and I can even backdate it to like growing up, like um, we'll say before I was, I identified as like, you know, being gay or queer and things for that matter. Um, my first girlfriend, first and second girlfriend, they were Caucasian. And then it wasn't until high school that I dated my first black girlfriend. And I was just like, oh, all right. Like, you know, this what's up. So then when I, you know, identified as being gay or queer, that's when I tapped into my first two uh, boyfriends were white. And so and nothing like, you know, against like, you know, white people. But I was just like, all right, this is cool. Da, da, da. 
but this ain't for me. So then I tap into like, you know, dated my first like black boyfriend. And I was just like, all right, this is where the identity comes from. Just because we've gone on this journey together. Like, you know, I always say it like this, like the first strike is like being black. Then now I'm gay and I'm black and in the world and things like that. But not always you can sit there and identify with someone of the opposite race and they're kind of like growing up. And I think that's where kind of now where if I date, I'm definitely sticking with my race and things like that because you kind of understand the journey that someone actually goes through. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, there's always different perspectives. Yeah. Actually, I want to ask, yeah. actually, I want to <clears throat> ask you from your perspective, because you, what you just said, you don't mix coffee with coffee, you mix coffee with coffee. Me, I was looking at the camera. Me and Jordan would heard that before. We know exactly what that means, but Dalen looked a little confused. <laughs> I've never heard that, yeah, ever. Okay, that's what I want to get into. Like Langston, I, when you first heard that, or like when that was first explained to you, or like that term was like told to you, can you can you go into that exploration of like being told that you know, like as a like mixing coffee with cream? What was your experience with that? Being told about that, and like you said, you experimented and found out. Well, I actually like dating other black people, and it's okay. Yeah. Like people, some people just drink the coffee black. You ain't got to mix it with nothing. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was interesting because I know that like growing up, like. I definitely didn't see a lot of like diversity, like especially within like my family or my friends. So it definitely was that angle. But so when my friends told me like you don't stop with cream, I was just like, all right, so this is how it works. I've seen like my friends sit there and date, and they were in successful interracial couples and like dating, you know, the same gender and things like that. This is the way to go, you know. I didn't really have much experience of like seeing like you know. Uh, two black men dating or two white men dating. I've always seen like the diversity like growing up. So I was just like, this is the only way to go. This is definitely the only way to go. And then exper experiencing that, I was just like, this is it. And so um, and I have two uh, in-laws who, you know, are Caucasian. And I was just like, okay, that works for them, but this ain't working for me. So that was just one of the biggest things that I was just like, okay. And even in my family, like we, they always had conversations. They were just like, Langston is going to be the one to sit there and change the grain and date out of his race, like, and bring it to the family. And lo and behold, that's not how it worked. It was my brother and my sister who kind of changed the grain with the family. So, yeah, did you, yeah. <clears throat> um, real quick, Dylan, there was, a, there was something that I was curious about because. Something you said earlier, um, to get a quick callback, you, you mentioned how there was kind of these boxes you didn't quite fit in that you had to push back against as it relates to um, the traditional, this is what boys do, put the dolls away. And you also talked about how, how you also didn't see a whole lot of diversity in terms of what being gay or queer looked like either. It was like, well, I don't necessarily fit way over here i don't necessarily identify with the uh the femininity of what i was seeing can you talk a little bit about how like i think in both cases you almost had to break down the boxes on both ends of the spectrum that didn't fit for you and i just think that's super interesting you know uh, interesting kind of finding this middle ground of yes i'm gay but i still can embody 
know, these traditionally masculine traits <laughs> that a lot of what's pro- pro- projected out there don't always see. Oh, so could you speak yeah. to that a little bit? I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, um, I think one of the things, my mom did a really good job, and I say a really good job of shielding us. Like, if she knew, like, you know, anybody, even when it came to, like, family members, like, were gay, she would definitely not have them in, like, our aura or, like, in our environment. So kind of taking, like, that journey, like, not seeing, like, you know, anybody, like, kind of growing up. And then even from TV shows, my mom definitely just sheltered us away from, like, TV shows that, like, oh, nope, change the channel. Like, even from, like, you know, sex scenes, like, growing up, close your eyes and things of that matter. So we definitely were shielded. Um, But in those years of kind of like being myself and coming up um a lot of my friends kind of already put the label on me that oh he's the girl in the relationship and things like that mm-hmm. and you know or whatnot um and so it wasn't until they saw me doing per se manly things that they were just like and i think i kind of broke the ground with them too as well because you know they were used to the typical there's a you know, in a gay relationship, there's a boy and there's a girl um, in the relationship. And so when it was, I think one day, half day, little say my car broke down. And, you know, I popped the hood and I started like trying to figure out things. They were just like, you know, what are you doing? Like, you don't know what you're doing in this thing. I was just like, look, I've had four cars at this time. I know a little bit about it. And I think it came to that to sit there and kind of break down the barriers, even in you know, my family, like they saw me and I think like my brother, like when I came out to him and I thought he was like not going to be accepting. He was the most masculine, like of like my siblings and in, in regards to it. Like I was just like, can't tell him because um, I ended up telling my sister-in-law, which is his wife first. And then she's like, no, your brother's cool. And we ended up having a conversation. But it was the things that I didn't really see my brother doing that I picked up the slack to. Um, or not really picked up the slack, but I was able to sit there and kind of do. So being like a handyman and things like that, that's where, you know, I was able to sit there and compass, you know, there, there's a feminine side and there's a masculine side per se to who I am. And, you know, there's not a problem with that. Yeah. 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 And you're feminine so hope, and you're masculine at the same time. Yeah. I kind of like, yeah. cause it, you know, normally in all these situations, it's like, oh, you have to be in this box over here or this box over here. And you're like, I'm going to be in this triangle, like somewhere in the middle. And it kind of floats around and I don't want to be a box and I don't want to be on either side. Like, it's just, you know, you've kind of had to figure that out this whole time. And I think it's been really cool. It's been fascinating for me just to sit and listen, like, yeah. you know, these different perspectives, because I grew up in a predominantly white school as a white person. You know, I don't really think much about these things. So, like, I really appreciate getting to hear this. Langston, is it <clears throat> freeing to get to that point? Like, I imagine that there was frustrations. I would be even frustrated listening to <laughs> hearing you say, even when you came out, uh, to, we like, people still try to put this struggle to wrap their head around two men. And so they have to, in their mind, still break it down to, like, well, you're the girl. It's like, no, we are two guys, right? Um and within that, both of you get to embody both sides of the spectrum in terms of what is deemed traditionally masculine and traditionally feminine. While I could imagine the journey being frustrating to have to 
hear those things and like break it down. It freeing to be in this space where it sounds like because of all that work that's been done, you can be, you can express anything like traditionally masculine traits, traditionally feminine traits, embody really this whole like spectrum, this holistic human experience. Does, does it feel like that for you? The freedom to uh, be yeah. whatever you want to be in a moment? Yeah, definitely. I think um, the older I get, the more, I'm not going to say I feel free, but the more I feel um, that I'm embracing um, myself and who I who I am and who I was created to be. Um, <laughs> it isn't that like little boy that, you know, back in the day who was in there wishing this and everything. It's like, it's like I mean, I always use the term um, from NeNe Leakes, I have become or I am here, I have arrived and things like that. And it's those things that like I really just take a, a component to look within myself to see how much I've grown and how much, you know, I've matured to sit there and be the person that I am, even when it comes to my friendships and my relationships. Like like relationships, I can definitely say, you know, and I'll that date like, you know, like being more the dominant um, one or the submissive one. Like a lot of my relationships starting out, I was definitely more the submissive one. Um, to where now I've definitely just want middle ground. Like, I, you know what, like it goes back to what you said, we are both men, like, you know, we know what we want and things like that. Like, you know, let's just tap into if, you know, you're more feminine here, then, you know, I can pick up the slack. But if you're more masculine here, you can pick the slack or things yeah. of that matter. So there is no, you know, you're more feminine than I am and you're more masculine. It's just like, what can we bring to the table so yeah and i think that's interesting like it's just a balance of each other out and recognizing where you're at like my wife and i do that too like she's the handy person around the house something breaks there's no way i'm fixing it but i'm the one who's more sensitive and i listen better and like those aren't traditionally masculine and feminine traits so i think it's really cool that there is some overlap in that yeah i think there's a lot to be learned really from listening to the journey, I think, of, for, for people who are breaking barriers when it comes to sexual orientation and sexual identity. Um, I really listen to what you're saying and think like someone like yourself is light years ahead of embracing the whole spectrum of who you are. And people like like I'm still really trying to work at how I can embrace the um, parts of me that are more soft and, and sensitive and feminine in those ways because noise around like being a straight man and okay you like women so you can't be what you like like you can't be like them it's just clogs up a lot and gets and gets in the way of a lot of freedom to just express like hey right now i want to be sensitive right now i want to be or I want attention or I want whatever be able to get to a place where you can be okay and comfortable expressing that and it somehow doesn't take away something from your masculinity or who you are as a man that's beautiful I think there's a lot that we can learn from listening to to your journey and I'm sure many other men who have walked a similar path you know I'm just I'm taking a lot in and just doing reflection in real time of like, man, oh, the, the, the world 
will ask and, and portray your identity and what you're attracted to and who you are as this like long thing. And I, I think we're getting better with that. But really, I'm looking and be like, man, you're ahead. You're <laughs> doing work that some men will never do, you know, sadly. And I'm try. I want to learn from people like you and, and catch up because it's not a race. But like, what what could I be doing better? How am I not tapping into parts of me that so desperately want to be expressed and, and be heard? You know. So along those just, lines, I want to ask: um, being that we want to try and focus on like men and mental health and emotion and expression. Being as someone who identifies in so many different ways, and like as Jordan so eloquently put, you've had to do a lot of work that most men won't do ever, um, through volition or so like this is the last straw, or it's by force. My wife says she's going to divorce me, so I'm finally here. <coughs> or like I almost, I, if not not to avoid. We don't want to avoid darkness here because I mean we just our last episode was about how men suffer in silence and often um, decide to take their own lives, like sometimes it's like the first attempt didn't work and so like all right i need to get some help uh talking to a friend who he was in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time at the wrong night said the wrong thing to the wrong dude and dude pulled out a gun and pulled the trigger but the gun misfired and the dude just said you're lucky god ain't gonna save you twice when we talk about the men the men experience the mental health, mental health experience, what has that been like for you as a man who identifies as a man, as a masculine man, as a, as a queer man? What has the mental health journey been like for you? What have been some of the challenges? What have been some of the hurdles? And is there, are there ways where it's almost easier for you to feel like it's able to express like you're having mental health um, struggles or challenges and be able to find help? Or is it more difficult? Because I will never know. I think as a black man, I would know what's the, the struggles and difficulties of trying to like find a therapist and uh, like find someone who understands me and find someone I like and things like I can afford. I can understand it from the black male perspective, but the queer perspective is something that I will never understand. What has that been like from you, from all your different facets of your existence? Um, it definitely has been interesting, even from being a preteen. I think that was the first time I've ever gone to a counselor and seen my, you know, seen somebody for it. And that was being forced. Um, that was the first time. And so I remember going through, I guess, like the initial, you know, stages, like, you know, filling out paperwork or asking questions. And so on the form, it was, what is your sexual orientation? And right off the bat, because, you know, going up how like you've been raised and things like that, I put it on there straight. And I think my therapist definitely knew that was probably the wrong answer. And so in our first session, like, it was definitely asking questions around that um, to where I was just like, it made me uncomfortable. So I definitely, you know, I think after the third session, uh, me and the therapist, maybe the third or fourth session, me and the therapist figured that, you know, I wasn't crazy. Um, and But it was more so my mom having to sit there and find ways to sit there and clear this we'll say extraordinary or this special kid um, who isn't like any of his other siblings. Um, so then I remember in my college days and going to school, I had two friends who actually passed away probably within the same week, which it's my, 
was it my junior year junior senior year and at this point i'm trying to graduate but mentally like i had reached like the plateau to where like school was stressing me out i got these papers and where i'll say that i probably suffered a mental uh breakdown to where i went comatose like and so after i don't know i always say that for i think it happened for like a week week and a half two weeks where i was just going with the flow i thought i was going to class and things like that and whatnot and i really wasn't um thought i was doing papers and going off or triggering certain things for my friends to where i think it was my friends who was supposed to take me to the hospital or something like that for a visit um i had made up in my head and so she ended up taking me and then i i was exactly really erratic to where they admitted me and they just said all these like levels were like high so and i remember like me being like clouded at that point but i remember them sitting there saying do you feel what's going on with your friend do you feel like this is what's going on and so i remember getting back to college and i got my refund and i went to go get a pedicure or something like that and i won't say the fumes brought me out but like it brought me back to reality where i was like what has been going on so i directly called my friend and she was like yeah you like your family called us they were about to come down here and we told them that we got you and things like that to where i am going to go see the counselor on campus and so she lord forgive me when i say this but she was this like hippie caucasian lady and she was i remember because she always had like the pleated skirt and she didn't shave her legs but she was trying to pull things out of me too that i was just like i'm not ready to talk about because it was always about where's your love life and i was like it's not existent what do you want to talk about it and things of that matter and so that was the thing so i was just like after that i closed out the session to where i remember getting maybe my last job before into my current one and going to go see a therapist and that therapist so i've probably been through like three four therapists where it was currently um my last boss actually gave me my current therapist who, therapist who i've been seeing for probably like the last four or five years and we finally clicked and he's um you know a black man he's my frat brother um but it took me a while to even open up to him because during that process i was in like we'll say a situation shit. and so i would use like the pronouns they so i'd never say like you know he or she and so finally he got to the point where he's like he took off his glasses and he was just like who are we talking about and so at that point i felt i guess open enough to sit there and say we're talking about a guy and he was just like all right now i can put all this into play that like you know but even him being i guess non-biased at that point and he was just like all right you know i gotta be non-biased i have to you know sit there and go in the situation things like that i didn't see like his eyes light up or anything he kind of brought me through this journey of being comfortable with myself and continuing like sessions to where you know going to go see him like you know um consistently versus like inconsistently and trying to make sure that like you know i'm taking care of like my mental health whenever i feel yeah. you know anxiety or things like that scheduling session whenever i feel like this and things that matter i can sit there and really tap into you know my mental health or to say hey you know this is a trigger or things of that matter that, you know even having conversations with like my siblings now to where yeah. they definitely are like you got us to go see a therapist because we knew some things weren't right and things or my friends go see a therapist and you know and i definitely advocated for like you know especially black men because i'm just like 
you know, we definitely have some things embedded like through history, um, even from like, you know, slave days that like things that were embedded in our families that we don't see until we go see somebody or that we don't sit there and have conversations with things that we have embedded in our families that we want to break that, you know, that curse or, you know, whatever is going in our family. But how can we do it if we don't sit there and take care of our mental health or yeah. we don't see somebody who isn't our friend? So <clears throat> That's such a that's yeah. such a very good point. And it's like I grew up in Africa, uh, so my family specifically has a very very strong identity of my people weren't enslaved. You ain't gonna put me in that box. But there's so much other family history trauma that goes deep to those roots. And one of the biggest things that I, I'll speak for like African specifically Nigerian immigrants because I talk to other. Nigerian men my age, and even my Nigerian um, women friends, our parents were traumatized. But when nobody, to t- they had nobody to talk to, and they, because they are successful, they are all right. That's as far as they're concerned, yeah. is they got their degree from Harvard, they made the money, the trauma didn't really matter. You, I was all right, you'd be all right too. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Just because just cause you were all right now doesn't mean that you can't get better. And just because I'm okay now doesn't mean that I wasn't hurt and it wasn't damaged. There's so I think there's so much to the resiliency factor of like people who have been through trauma, whether it's immediate or generational or familial, that like it creates so much resiliency within you that you just get used to being all right. You can be so much better than all right. Um, and that's one of like my biggest things when people try to use Kendrick Lamar's "We Gonna Be All Right" as like a marching, as a marching theme. Like we gonna be all right. And I was like, my brother in Christ, we could be better than all right. We could be good. We could be healthy. We could be functioning. We could be better. But it's so much so that like, with your experience, the difficulty was like you went to three or four therapists. Uh, sometimes it's like people say, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. But a lot of it is. They don't want to put in the effort to do the work. And the, the vulnerable and explosive. And like, let your therapist get to the point where he takes off his glasses and goes, hey, what are we talking about here? What are we doing? Honestly, that might be like, side note, one of the fun part about being a therapist that wears glasses is I take my glasses off and I just look at my clients and be like this. And they're like, well, and I'm like, all right, cool. So I ain't got to say anything. So you know what I was going to oh, say. What a, what a good move. Yeah. <laughs> you get some glasses, Dayla. Yeah, every yeah. every therapist should just wear glasses. Off. Fake glasses, real glasses, wear glasses. Just take them off and stare at your client like this one time. And just don't say nothing. And they'll be like, Well, I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, all right, cool. So now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Langston, I'm curious, you know, about like your journey of going to like three or four different therapists because I I would imagine a lot of men and probably just people in general like go to one therapist it doesn't work and then they're like well this just isn't for me you know therapy in general and then they never go or they don't go for years later but it sounds like you were pretty adamant about like okay i'm gonna keep going i'm gonna keep trying like i guess like what was that like for you like why did you want to continue to go back uh well i'm not gonna say i knew something was up i just knew something was out of my reach um of me to sit there and have to deal with like dealing with like the trauma and dealing with like certain things that i grew up with and you know i usually have the three strike rule i mean i've definitely gone through probably 
will until my current one will probably be the fifth therapist but i usually have the third strike rule and i'm like all right this just ain't this ain't gonna work out but it definitely was a journey because i remember the first therapist being a male a caucasian male and you know i connected just because simple fact of probably and probably going to like you know everybody in authority at that point was like you know with school and things like that were like you know Caucasian men or things like that, and so I like, identified just because of the simple fact that I was able to sit there and, all right, cool, you 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 trying to have a conversation, you trying to get me to where I need to be, um, and things like that. But that was like my preteens, to where you know I had the first one who was this hippie Caucasian lady that like was trying to like bring it out of me, and I was just like, you were really trying it, like let me just end these sessions because I'm not coming back. Like, and she would call me like, hey, everything cool? And I'd be like, yeah, don't need to come back. You. And it wasn't like she pissed me off. She, it just definitely was one of those components of where, like, this ain't working out. Like, this yeah. relationship isn't working out. To where I tried two other, and they ended up being females. And the last one, she was, like, an older Caucasian lady. And I felt like in the session, she literally, she was trying to get buy-in and talk or to get buy-in on, like, situations that I was talking about. But I felt like it ended up being her therapy session. Like... Mm-hmm. And I was just like, all right. What's happening? Not coming back after this. Yeah. yeah, not coming back after this third session, too, to where it was my boss or my previous boss who actually linked me up my current therapist who was just like, hey, he's helped my son. And, like, her son is, like, um, autistic or something like that. So he's helped him go through some stuff and me understand some stuff. And, you know, my boss was, you know, African-American, too, to where I was like, all right, well, let me try give it this one last shot. And so I was definitely nervous about the first session um, in regards to it. Um, But I think it was, I kept on going because we clicked in some kind of capacity. Um, And I don't know if it was because he was a black man, um, but we definitely clicked um, after that third session of him sitting there taking the glasses off. But we definitely clicked. And that's why I continued to sit there and like go after that because it probably had a lot to sit there and deal with the simple fact that I felt I had more buy-in in the situation and these other therapists weren't really meeting probably my needs and my wants where I finally found somebody who was actually reassuring me or, you know, giving me the validity in these situations that like, not per se, I'm not crazy, but like, you know, he was giving me the things that I needed to sit there and continue to sit there and come back versus, you know, okay, this is, this wasn't like the others. So, Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Like even you recognizing that 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 relationship just wasn't what you needed to do that deeper work because, you know, we're people on the other side of this too. And so if like, if you aren't comfortable with us and you don't trust us, you can't be vulnerable, it's gonna be a waste of all of our time. So it's like, I think for, you know, you or anyone listening, it's like, if you're not matching with a specific therapist and it's awkward and weird, like don't give up. You'll find someone out there eventually that you can jive with, that you feel comfortable and safe with. And they might look more like you. They might look different than you. You know, everyone's kind of different. So I really appreciate you kind of sharing, you know, what that's been like for you. I love what you just said, Dale. And thank you, Langston, for illustrating really kind of how I wanted to wrap up at least today's conversation. Mentioned earlier, you know, you also work in early childhood. And one of the things that I hear from your story, and I think other clients who identify as LGBTQ or even just other marginalized groups is this sense that 
need to know whether it's in the therapy session or just in the people in their life, like the coming out process. It's this test of I'm showing you me, will you accept it? You allow me to be in your space and be a safe space for me to be myself in. And for men, and what we try to do and something that we talk about a lot uh, on this podcast is how men can be better safe spaces for one another. Um, what would you say from your experience growing up, from the experiences you, you see working with children and just now being a man who's um, you has arrived, right? Or is this continual process of arriving to himself? What do we what, what's your what's your thought on what can we as men be doing better, be safe spaces for one another right? to allow the that process to happen so we all can be ourselves and be vulnerable enough to to go there to those those deeper places um i think one of the biggest things that i can sit there and say is just coming in conversations that you can have with other men or other black men is really being open-minded um i think that's the one biggest thing that i take from being you know being an early childhood education working with kids um that you definitely see kids who come from different angles of life like you see kids who you know come from the best type of families to like the lowest type of families then you have to very di- you have to dissect like those situations and those traumas that kids go through and kind of dissect those barriers but in having conversations with men you just have to be open-minded like you know even if we you know you said oh i'm a straight man and everything like that but I think one of the conversations that I just recently had with one of my friends is like um, he's in a relationship, um, you know, clearly with a woman, um, but sometimes he likes to get pegged. Like, but how how did you get to that point to like, you know, you know, want to have that conversation with your wife? Was that early on or things like that? But you have to come in like very unbiased, you know, you just have to sit there and come come to a point to where like you don't want to sit there and give any any sense of judgment and i think that's one of the biggest things that i've definitely learned even when you want to be judgmental like and definitely watching like you know we always say like you might not say it but your eyes say it or your facial expressions say it like you definitely have to watch it when you have conversations with your friends but building that trust and kind of like relationships like you know it definitely helps to sit there and provide safe places or safe spots for poor men to continue to sit there either you know, want to have conversations with other men or to sit there and really tap into mental health. I think that's one of the biggest things is like, if I continue to sit there and talk about how, you know, I meet with my therapist consistently and things of that matter, you know, it provides another like safe space for other men to sit there and, okay, let me go see a therapist or can you give me your therapist number? Do you have like, you know, support, like what, and I've definitely had conversations with my friends to where they're like, what, what did it take for you to sit there? And I was just like, I just we just clicked like but i also tell them that like you know this wasn't the first therapist that i saw so you know you see a lot in we'll see counseling sessions or things like that to where you know and it might be a man and a woman or things like that or people go through like this session to where they're like first session i'm not coming back and it's kind of like goes back to what a leader first you don't see try again i think that's one of the things so open-mindedness i love of that because I think if we can remain open-minded, I've often found 
that we can connect and relate on something if we continue to hang in there and hear someone's story curious about them there will be a point no matter how on different ends of the spectrum you may think you are be a point that unites us that we can go oh man yeah i feel that i've had a, i had a similar experience i love that open-mindedness i think is huge um Listen, we appreciate you coming on. We've been going for you know, right about an hour here. We would definitely, I can be the first to say, I want this to be one of many conversations because we hit on so many topics that we could take tangents and go deeper on. Um, I appreciate you coming on and having the first of what I hope to be many conversations from your perspective um, and sharing your journey with us and allowing us to be a safe space for you to do that. Really appreciate it. Um, so before we wrap up, does anyone have any final thoughts or final things they want to share? Love it. All right. Listen, any final words of wisdom? Any final nuggets, things you want to share with the folks? No, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is just advocate for yourself. Um, as a man, um, there's no right or no wrong in the situation. So definitely just be a man and be a non-biased man. So be a non-biased man. I love that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. And like just even listening to you like talking about being in safe space. I'm like, man, I had to go to school to learn how to do that. <laughs> That was that was school and training and uh, getting graded on the C of there was too much facial expression in that one. Maybe try tone your face down. It's like how do I tone like the first time I remember first time a professor telling me, I love how expressive you are. You gotta tone your face down. I looked at the man, I was like, tone my face down? What does that even mean? But um, your perspective has been um, really eye-opening. And I think one of the things that I learned um, that I learned from another LGBTQ queer plus friend of mine is that like when you come out, it's not just like this arrival. It's like it happens and it keeps happening. Like he told me about like his experience of having to come out to his gay friends as Christian and come out to his Christian friends as gay. And I was just like, that's the first time someone has ever expressed that to me. And then like, just talk like, here you talk about the whole coffee with the cream and how that even within um, the queer community, there's still this expectation of what's acceptable is dark and white or interracial relationships that how like queer predominantly African like relationships is, is still something that seems to be a struggle to be accepted even within that community. So I think I learned a lot from you. I want to thank you so much for coming on here and just being yourself and allowing us to grow and learn with you. Just greatly appreciate you. So thank you. Wonderful. Well, as always, folks, um, if you like what you heard today, please share this podcast with someone um, in your life that you care about. Um, check it out. We, we hope to give you guys content that is um, educational, but also um, can be a safe space for you based on the conversations that we have. So episodes come out every Friday. Um, like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, we will see you all next time.